We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, coaches. Welcome back to another Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Joining us today is Christopher O'Hare. We talk a lot about coaching change and the role of coach analyst and dual roles in coaching, but we don't talk about coach psychologist. We are going to talk about that today. Chris works at La Liga Club Villarreal. I'm sure you've heard of it. He's coached all around the world, and we're going to talk about his unique role and his unique pathway. Before we start, if you are a fan of the tactical work we post and you're a fan of the tactical side of the game, we have launched a new modern soccer coach football analysis boot camp four weeks of webinars, four weeks of tactical analysis. We're going to bring data into it. We're going to look at press and metrics. We're going to look at packing metrics as well, how to implement these programs with your teams alongside analysis, alongside coach philosophy. The link is below to sign up. We're starting that on January 14th. If you miss any of the live webinars, don't worry. You will get a recorded copy within 24 hours. You can sign up today at modernsoccercoach.com shop. Look forward to joining you there. Here is Chris. Enjoy. Hey Chris, thank you so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Excited to have you on. Nice, nice to be here. Thank you very much for the invite. The topic is quite specific, but I think it's going to cover, like I'm really excited about it. I think we're going to cover culture, player development, your journey, all these great topics, psychological profiling, um, onboarding new players, bringing in players into a new environment. The starting point that, that we kind of spoke about in club identity and the club culture, and that's something that obviously in the U.S., people are trying to do this with, with, the, with the sport at the professional level being quite new in a lot of new clubs, new uh, high turnover of college players, a lot of clubs that are, that are dealing in, in a lot of competition. Culture is always moving. And, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that initial first phase of how do you think the best way to build that clear identity and the and the culture, how to go about that process. Culture is almost a hot button word within modern day society, whereby uh, to some people it almost seems offensive these days, and to some people it seems invaluable. I think both of those things can be true depending on how you use it, as all words can be. I think that the word culture really needs to be looked at in a much more broader scope because. We're seeing, we're seeing in many different places, whether it, whatever country that may be, an almost degrading of modern day culture, whereby people don't know what that means. And that's also the same in football. As we become more specified, we lose really track of the clear identity or clear objectives that we can have. And it becomes almost results orientated. There's an expression that I really love, which is unspoken expectations, premeditated resentments. And this filters down through organizations as people don't really understand what the, the organization or the club or whatever it may be, what it stands for. People can be listening at home and say, well, results winning games, but that's just not true. If Stoke City gets seventh three years in a row, 
under Mark Hughes in the Premier League at the time when he was fired the year after. That was because he wasn't then jumping the next level up. I'm sure now, if you are Stoke City fans, they would almost bite your hand off for another repeat of that. And some of the players they had at the time were absolutely fantastic. So I think that a clear identity of how, how objectives result in success not results being the success that's how culture should be defined and culture can look many different ways depending on what it is that you want but first we need to nail down what we call in spanish the metites of what the culture is that means the details so what is it that defines your club differently from others can people look at your playing style and your coaching and the way you behave and clearly see it? People who are within the world of football can look at the 2012 Barcelona team and say, oh, they're playing very short, sharp passes. A normal person on the street can do that. And I think that when we often talk about culture, we forget that all of the things that lead up to that point, all of the little things that lead up to that point, all of the alignments from the top to the bottom, that's how you build culture. You need an aligned structure with a clear identity, clear objectives, and an idea of what success looks like on a day-to-day basis that isn't bred into results. So whether that may be a club that wants to play in the gegenpressing type fashion in Germany. Well, we need so many high presses per game. Okay, well, we'll already we're beginning to see a culture come, especially in a place where United States, where athletes are bred. You'd think that high pressing football and high intensity football would be a given, would be an almost an almost an easy step, and then. We need to also look at understanding where the club is within the paradigm of football and then being honest about that because there's nothing wrong with being honest about where you are because if you're not honest about where you are, how are you going to get where you want to go? There is no shame in saying, well, at the moment, we're a mid-table club and we know in order to reach the top of this league, We've looked at the last 10 seasons and we've seen that the teams that escape usually play in this fashion. So we're going to try and evolve ourselves season by season over a three-year plan to get to this point. Well, then you've got a direction of travel. Then the coaches are going in, understanding, well, year one needs to finish like this and year two needs to finish like this. And each person within each category, each tapper, as we say here in Spain, can understand what that direction looks like and what success looks like without just looking at a a league table and thinking, well, this is where we go. Coaches need to be completely on board with a philosophy of a club. There's a very famous example of, I think it was Southampton, where um, they heavily invested into the youth system. Players like Lallana and uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain came through, Walcott, Bale... And one of the first things they did is they said to the coaches, what do you need? A friend of mine recently told me this. And he, um, what do you really need? And the coaches who went, well, they went, they went out the door because you can't build a philosophy if if everybody's not on board. 
everybody needs to be on board and then once everybody's on board you can begin to begin build because people believe in the project they're doing when people believe the success can be almost unlimited but one coach at one level who isn't doing the same drills as everybody else well what happens when one of their players have to go up to an ex- another training session that player isn't going to be able to perform in the same way on pitch they'll be making different runs they will be interpreting the play in a different manner. There needs to be a specific alignment with a ladder of success in each environment so players and coaches can understand how it is that so success looks like rather than just subject, subjective commentaries. Yeah, the, the, just on that, subjective commentaries, and then going back to your point about honesty, it, and then going back to your point about the gig and press and, and knowing what you want, that that all put together sometimes I think looks like youth environments where people want to do everything. They want to be a possession-based team. They want to counter-press. They want to be high-pressed. They want to have psychological support. They want to be have all this other stuff because that's how they view, well, if we don't have it because it's a business model, but is there a threat then of ticking every box and then ticking no boxes, for example, jack of all trades almost as a club? Yeah, you were you. One of my favorite players, quite obviously from history, is Steven Gerrard. But Steven, I was thinking about this the other day, and I was ruminating on the thought, and and maybe I'm wrong. I think Steven Gerrard did a lot of damage to modern day football because he could do everything. Mm. He could do everything. He could defend. He could play right back, centre back. If he was on the transition, he was deadly. He would play centre-forward. I'm pretty sure he could have led the line quite easily. And when you look at modern-day footballers, or even players from the past, actually, actually, if you just look at footballers, that's not common. Actually, it's so uncommon that every professional who played sport and who played football in his era references him as being one of the best. Now, it's okay if you are a producing club, to produce one type of player who is incredible and have that as your academy's backbone where you're selling that type of player or where you're producing that type of player to a very high degree. And that might be a floating number 10, might be a solid centre-back, it might be a covering centre-back, it might be a ball-playing centre-back, it might be a progressive dribbling centre-back could be many different elements however having that very clear gives a backbone to a club and i think that the most successful clubs in modern time know exactly what they're good at producing in relation to where they are there are many different elements in this and we'll come to touch them later on because i think they're very important but knowing who you are what you can produce and then what it is that your culture is synonymous with is incredibly important. The likelihood is that of the United States right now producing a Virgil van Dyke-like centre-back is very, very, very low. But the likelihood of them producing very fast, tricky wingers is probably much higher. So why? Because in America, is it a very individualistic society? It's a very when you look at the when you look at the different studies about societies, which I'm obsessed with. I'm obsessed with studying where I am in order to understand and then produce the best possible, and then connect with the players, of course. 
Well, if you look at Germany, what do they produce? They produce operators, technical operators. Do they produce marauding centre-forwards of, of the Haaland or Darwin Nunes? No. No, they do not. And I think that each culture moulds its players in a certain way and has an effect. And we'll talk later on about the personalities, but I think that knowing who you are and what you want to do is incredibly much more... Well, it's much more efficient than anything else. Look at RB Leipzig. Very, very clear on what they do, and they do it well, and they produce it well. Yeah, once once you know what you want and you're a recruiter, either as a, as a coach who's... Maybe they're 14-year-old and they're trying to bring them into their team and they're at the elite academy level or maybe it's college or maybe it's pro and then you're looking at saying like okay how do you get an understanding of that player um and i put in the questions that sometimes this this analysis world that we're living in right now sometimes it, it leads to bad habits and, and we're just watching a quick 40 second 50 second clip three minute video of someone yeah what's, what's the best way it, for people to get an understanding of the player and the person when they're looking at recruiting them? So I think that the data-driven scouting is wonderful. I I was um, enamoured with the money ball idea as soon as it became a thing in the United States. I used to read about it quite a lot. However, what separates the 1% isn't technical ability or tactical flexibility. It just isn't. And, and it's character and personality that separates those paradigms. And I think that quite often we're looking at players in a way that is extremely limited. We're not looking at them, at their ability to improve. We're not looking at ways they can prove their cognitive potential, which is something I'll come on to next, later on. When we understand the player, we really have a much more complete idea of where their trip will go, where their journey will take them. So therefore, with the bearing in mind that a lot of coaches these days, sports very famous sports psychologists such as J.J. Jett, have talked about this about how most coaches are psychologists of sort they have to deal with these issues and i think that the next stage is really giving coaches the ability to view things in a different manner to upscale themselves to improve themselves and see how we can elicit those responses from players to understand who they are as people and whether they will stand up one of the great examples very recently is the Tottenham versus Chelsea game in which um, Ange Postecoglou um, he played a high line with nine men. Why did he do that? Did he do that because it was the most tactically intelligent choice? No. Did he do that because he wanted to turn the game into a training session? No. He did that because he wanted to see who would follow him into battle and run through walls for him. And then set a standard at the club that all of these days have gone by where players were deciding what they would do on the pitch or players would, they have gone. And from that, he would have had a very, very, very good idea. If it gets to the 90th minute, 
and I need a team to stay calm and cool under pressure, who can I rely on? It's things like that that really give the ability to see and to understand what's happening. When it comes to when it comes to doing the due diligence on players, I think that that is that's something the players the the teams are now doing more of. They're now trying to understand players. They're trying to put themselves in places where they can try to see what players are going to give them from a personality point of view. I know that they do psychological profiling on players beforehand. I know that a lot of agents are trying to get players to behave in certain manners, to join certain clubs and form their personalities in that way, which I think isn't a negative thing, but it's all cloak and dagger, isn't it, at the end of the day, when we're talking about this amount of money. We're talking about huge amounts of money. So, as 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 we, we move forward, I think that we're going to see a lot more emphasis on producing reports psychologically on players, as well as technically and tactically. Well, how did he react in this moment? And then if you were to chart a season or two seasons and you were to see what was his reaction when he gave away a penalty? Was he able to refocus? Was he scanning the same as before? Because that's a big thing. If I'm playing football and I give away a penalty and I'm no longer scanning, I'm no longer looking as much, you can tell that my concentration has been lost. Whilst if we look at the best players, they're able to self-regulate themselves throughout games. And that's really where I come in because I can see those things a lot easier than most coaches. I can identify them and I am on pitch. I am exactly involved in anything else. I am a coach. I do identify that way. But I also identify as a sports psychologist. And that gives me the ability to understand things from a much more comprehensive or or different manner. I don't think I'm better than anyone, of, of course not. Hello coaches, we'll take a quick break here. If you're passionate about the tactical side of the game, we would love for you to join us in January as we take an exciting in-depth look at analysis alongside coaching for an immersive four-week learning experience at the Modern Soccer Coach Football Analysis Online Bootcamp. It's designed to give coaches an understanding of how to organize and utilize match analysis alongside data improve your ability to make long-term decisions and better equip yourself to offer high-quality insights to your players and your teams. In this unique boot camp, coaches will learn how to turn video analysis and data into a competitive advantage with four live online webinars centered around the following topics. Merging philosophy to game model, in-possession analysis and packing data, defensive analysis and pressing data, positional profiling and IDPs all spread out over four weeks and if that wasn't enough coaches that register will also receive game model templates idp templates positional training ebooks and match analysis workflows all downloadable resources that they can use with their teams it's limited to 30 coaches there are still spots available you can register now it's on the link below modernsoccercoach.com shop we start january 14th look forward to seeing you there
yeah, moves the conversation along really nicely. This this is something that, whereas you're wearing a coach's hat and a, psycho, a psychologist's hat, and you said there before about, you know, the coach, coach has always been a part psychologist throughout yeah. the history of the game. Matt Busby, Bill Shankly, they've always tried to relate to players and understand them. It's a people's game, blah, blah, blah. But what you're seeing today, and, and something I've noticed is this, again, back to outcome focused or results focused, is that society now judges that if a coach is struggling and everyone can see the results, you're ultimately saying that they're that they need help in the psychology aspect. And now with society seeing an opportunity or bringing up, and, and a lot of it is needed, but there's also a business side of this too, where psychologists are saying, well, I could go in there and, and help with that there. And then they're getting in and they don't make an impact. And I, I, I think a lot of this is, and we've interviewed quite a few psychologists support. Some have been outstanding. So I'm not saying that it's not needed, but you're saying there about the specifics and with the football context of scanning, is that where psychology needs to go rather than this generalization of concentration, focus for the, for the <laughs> thing? You know what I mean? You're going to get me in trouble. You're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> right. I think I think that anyone who's listening to this who's a sports psychologist should immediately turn me off because I'm going to say something that's going to really annoy you. I think, personally, I think, personally, there's a lot of fluff. I think there's a lot of fluff out there. There's a lot of people selling smoke. And there's a lot of very, very good buzzwords. Very good buzzwords. Um, I know some. I know some very, very intelligent people, some people who've got PhDs, and I won't reveal... You know yeah. more about my personal life because I don't I don't like to do that, but I can tell you that the world of PhDs, the world of this and this and this, it's it's very very very. How can I say this? Is it, it, can I swear? Is that okay? Oh yeah, work away. Right, it's very it's very bullshitty. Yeah, it's very you know you pay to get your your article published. Okay, you pay to get your book published. You work for years as a understudy to a professor whereby you're paid pittance in order to it's it's a it's payment to entry basically the the entire market so that is already saying that a large proportion of people who are very very admissible to this industry can't get into there and I think a lot of the time when I see advice that isn't practical which isn't immediately that i can get a taste of practicality from it uh, my alarm goes off my alarm goes off and i'm like what have you said there okay let's take away all the pretty words let's take away the lovely pictures what have you said what have you practically said and i think that's why coaches enjoy working with me is because i will i will always come back to practicality what can we do to practically get this player to the point that we are building in the ladder that we talked about previously or the team or the atmosphere and i think that's what i am where i am because and i don't want to comment too much on that but because it comes back to my ability to see things from the coach's perspective me as a coach me as a sports psychologist 
and then combine those things. And, you know, the examples about scanning after after giving away a penalty or the the temporization of, of pressing when they're able to press but then hold themselves back and whether they're measuring the speed of the player. Because if you're pressing against someone who's very, very fast or someone who is a more technical player, well, your point of slowing down your press in order to read what their move is going to be next will be different. We call it temporization. So me reading that on pitch gives me a very good idea of where someone's heads are. Me looking at an activation phase and, and looking at a player and the player's just passing the ball without any sort of intention. Well, that's going to affect everything afterwards in the training session. So you'll see me in training pitches talking to players being like, that's not good enough. Things like uh, working on team communication. When you come into a training session, are players talking to each other? And then how are they talking to each other? It's very, very good that they say great job and everything, but then instructions as well to avoid possible turnovers of the ball and then making them take responsibility for those actions. And I think that that fluff that we often see, I, I do agree with you, it does exist. See the, see the aspect then of psycho psychology and more individualization. I, I enjoy that there because that's, that's how I see analysis as well has, has similar issues where, you know, if, if you just go with your, your lane, then ultimately if you show someone a shop map, it, it's going to generate 5,000 clicks on a, on a yeah. social media platform. You show it to a 23 year old or you show it to a 17 year old. They don't like, they just don't care. It's almost that we need to move. Like we talk about coaches getting better uh, as this thing gets bigger an ecosystem around the support gets bigger, but then they're also, I think there's a responsibility on those people to understand how the day to day operates as well with people. Yeah. 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 We, we, so the Bologna agreement was signed in Europe around 2005, which was talking about the specialization of masters and uh, degree programs. And as a result, what we've seen is we've seen the young professionals who've then gone on to work in football because they do then go to work in football. And that culture being developed where it's all about specificity, specificity, specificity. Right, okay. However... There are some fantastic people in football who are able to do a little bit of everything at a very, very high level. And because you as an analysis are looking at a, a look at a, a pitch, well, the analysis needs to be able to talk to the coach and talk in a language that they both understand. And then have a conversation about, for example, well, I would coach it like this and you would coach it like this. And I think that's whereby what's now happening within football is we're now creating these roles that you're talking about. The the There's a guy who used to work for Liverpool, he now works for the City Group, who works as a coach analysis. Uh, and he basically was on pitch much like me. Um, I am, as, as I know, the first or one of the first, I'm sure there's probably someone else out there who's a sports psychologist coach in the world. 
but by giving that different differentiation by giving that so that difference you're able to see things in a different manner and then talk in the same language as a coach or talk in the same language as analysis or talk someone within coordination for example talk in their language and i think that's incredibly important to keep that horizontal conversation and cross-pollination of ideas 100 percent, 100 you, you see when when you're talking about then the, the player coming in and adjusting to the environment and obviously you've got the lifestyle and you've got the external yeah. and you're trying to Im- invest but you're trying to get an understanding of that player how how do you think coaches can get better at the making it strengths based so you're not taking a player in and completely adjusting them to the environment you can meet them somewhere closer to the strengths of the player I think that we need to have a very big emphasis upon where they've came from. A really good example I'm pretty obsessed with at the moment is Darwin Nunes at Liverpool. The reason I'm obsessed with him is because he comes from a relationalist type of football. So we have positionalist and then we have relationalist, whereby what his main strength is, is reacting to events, reading, reacting, and then doing not resetting and repositioning. So, for example, someone like Jeremy Doku at Manchester City, who is an incredible footballer, what he will do is he will do, he will go back to his wing, keep discipline, stretch the pitch as much as possible. He will force the other team to basically keep one on him at all times. Then Manchester City will generate the ball to one other side. They will move it across very, very quickly because of their robot-like positionalist um, ideas, which are fantastic and clearly, clearly working, may I add. They will move it right across and then Docker will produce the same situation again, 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 one this one, one this one, one this one. Whilst someone like Nunes is basically reading the game at all times and then almost like a street footballer in a sort of, if we go even further back, a Robbie Fowler-type way reacting and then just trying to play the moment why is that relevant to what i'm talking about because by understanding where a player comes from you can understand if they fit into your philosophy and where you want to go what we see a lot of the time these days is we see clubs at the major major the biggest echelons of football signing players that they never should sign they, you should never sign this guy. This guy is in no way suited to where you want to go or how you want to play. And then we see players being signed with no relevance about where their prior coaches were. And then if we move this down to a lower level of academies, because that might be where most people are listening from, well, what are their mental strengths? before their actual technical and physical abilities. Because if you have a team who, when they are losing, they're quite often demotivated. Well, I know what type of player I need for that team. And that's almost more important than the technical and and the other abilities. I know what type of character I need. 
I know what type of questions to ask. And I know now within modern football, a lot of academies they have, for example, uh, hidden, may I add, um, and that, this is not my case, but I know out, out in other places they are, have um, a psychologist who might work with the trialist and just ask them questions and talk to them, just get to know them, see what they think, see who their favourite players are, see who what their favourite games are, see if they're a student of the game, see if they are the type of person who hides when there's a few more people in the room, you know? If, if there are the big wigs in the club, do the, the, does the player hide and not want to be seen? Or does the player just not care? Well, that's easily testable. Or when they are introduced to a random group of people, what is their reaction? What, what is their reaction? Because you can read a lot off that. You can read a lot. You can see how they react, the way in which they communicate whether they're able to understand the concepts that exist in the club as well, because every club will have concepts. And this is something I should have met, mentioned earlier on about language. Language is so, so, so important. And I guarantee you on the East or the West Coast of America, you will have very different concepts of football or concept of words that then result in actions. Well, if those, if those concepts are not learned or not understood, that's going to be a barrier to entry as well. And I think all these little things clubs can do in order to find that 1% and that information that will give them the idea of who the player is off the pitch. Social media is incredibly important, of course, understanding where they are in that. And there's an argument for you probably want someone more of a Roy Keane type mould that society these days wouldn't deem applicable. Well, society these days, if they heard Roy Keane commenting on Twitter at 22, they'd be like, who's this guy? He's terrible. Right, well, that's the guy who's going to grab you out the, out the trenches. So you've got to decide, haven't you? Do you want someone who's a little bit of a, a pain in the backside when they're young, which we all were, may I add? Um, or do you want somebody who's a conformist? And I think we're breeding conformists all over the world, all over the world. Yeah, the, I listened to James Milner on the High Performance podcast yesterday. And um, now, understandably, like it's, again, with outcome bias, you're, everything he says, you're like, oh, the model pro, and, and it's fantastic. But one of the biggest takeaways for me was that aspect of, his, his independence and his, his strength of character at a young age to be different, to dare to be different and, and courage to not drink, not go out and party. But but we do it in different ways, I think, today, to your point. And like we do it in, in such and such as a good teammate because they fit in. But then you're if you have 25 people who are fitting in at 16, 17, 18, again, you get to 19, 20 and they go out to a stadium or they get to a level that requires a massive amount of courage and independence. Maybe you're gauging that where someone's different. Yeah, 100% fit in, fit in. That's an interesting way to say it. People, players and people conform. This is what we, I mean, what we've learned over the last three years, more or less, is conformity is incredibly real and BF Skinner is turning in his grave. He's one of the most famous um, social psychologists that existed. Um, 
because people will conform to what someone else tells them that the television has said that that's the reality unfortunately and we if you want to breed a 0.00001% athlete looking for the 98% is the definition of stupidity and insanity now i'm not calling anyone anyone negative words but i think that we can both agree that what you're looking for is the outlier you're looking for that person who in moments of difficulty in extreme stress in severe self-doubt is able to drag not only themselves but the teammates by the scruff of the neck and say we're three nil down but it doesn't matter they've just scored a penalty in the 90th minute it doesn't matter and they are not common they are not common at all but the amount of focus in the modern day world of football on on finding those individuals is very 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 low yeah that, that conformity also again even as as environments expand you know you go in and you've got the science stuff the player now has a full day schedule so it's yes got to do this got to do this got to do this see in a youth environment to uh, how would you even as a psych psych the psychology part of a coach how would you create aspects where the player can get a little bit more independence or grow that at a young age where you can grow that type of personality or those traits ideally and practically are two different very different things we see in psychology the top athletes are usually those who undergo severe trauma when they're younger why because they come through a uh, difficulty but they are not no longer for example they aren't in a place of addiction or to the extreme but they have produced a severe and extreme resilience level to overcome the majority of boundaries and a self-drive that very rarely exists if you grow up in a com comfortable environment that's not to see that there are exceptions yeah there's always always exceptions however that is the truth now i'm not saying that clubs should go out of their way to look for whoever got bitten by a dog when they were three years old i'm not saying that at all but what i am saying is that there's a reason why kids from the favela in brazil are obsessed with football and think of nothing else and brazil has such an incredible system so producing an environment which is comfortable probably isn't the best method if you want to produce resilience and strong personalities i think that in the 90s there used to be programs whereby people were given discipline structure where they were given jobs such as cleaning different parts of the training ground we've lost that well and, and it it's such a shame because it enables interaction between the first team and the the youth teams it enables a clear idea of earning your place other than just touching a ball because if you don't do your jobs then you're not going to train and if you don't train then you can see where that goes and i think that ideally players should be challenged cognitively in different ways too for example the ideal scenario would be players at the ages of 17 to 19 when they are in accommodation and when they perhaps have finished their studies 
clubs to almost mandate them to do another type of study, whether that might be something along the lines of woodwork or something like this. But, it, but it's not the point. What you are doing is you are teaching them the ability to, to take what they will learn from woodwork, which is long, hard structure, which is discipline, which is the ability to put in work on a day-by-day -day basis, but not necessarily see the immediate outcome or the immediate gratification and transplant transplant that into football if that's going to happen if for example i don't know southampton tomorrow are going to implement a woodwork program probably not uh it will take one club to make that step and then have a lot of a lot of success before before it happened hey, james milner on that podcast was cleaning the under 18 captain's boots when he was 16 in the first team at leeds and he didn't have a problem. Like he was, it's interesting how he articulates that that the kit man giving him a nod of approval was just as big for him than a first team manager saying that you know all the. But that, anyway, I don't want to go off on that one. What I want to stay on is this this aspect of that individual player having those traits that are going to take them to the next level. Those psychological traits that you talked about earlier. One of the aspects we have here that, that gets a lot of criticism in American sports, youth sports, is our, our winning first, our, our, our overall uh, love of the result. And we have this picture painted of Europe, especially Spain, where there's technicians everywhere, that they're not as enamored about winning as we are. So people think that when you get to these clubs that you're working at, that it's all technical work, it's all tactical uh, the winning comes later. What's it like? Uh, do people are is that grown at a young age that competitive streak? Give us an insight to that. I will. I'll speak generally because I think it's very important to speak generally rather than specifically. Uh, Spanish people are incredibly competitive, incredibly competitive. Um, in Spain, they have. It's very normal to meet someone who's got two masters. I have two masters, and when I tell people back in the UK, it's like, oh, you know, nobody's nobody's lighting fireworks for me, but people are like, oh, that's that's you know, that's cool. But in Spain, it's nothing to even talk about. Put it that way: people are incredibly competitive, incredibly self-driven. They are very, very aware of what is needed to reach the top, and. And they will put in a lot of hours to do that. I've seen coaches here work in part-time positions an enormous amount of hours at all levels. I think that the difference is that there's also a concentration on forming what we would say formar, which is to, to mould people and mould players. Yes, winning is important, 100%. And I have seen, for example, Real Madrid in an under-12 tournament. I've seen them play two big lads up front and pump the ball. And genuinely. And people are listening to this like, are you sure? And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Check out promises from the last year. I've seen that. But they won. But they won. Right? And those two big lads, they were fantastic. They were apt for their age. They were incredible. They really, really were. So when people say that we're not that concentrated on winning, I don't believe it. 
I don't believe it. I think that what it is, is that we have that. And then at the same time, there are other elements that we have built up simultaneously. There are other elements that are built up. And that is what I mentioned in the beginning, culture creation. What is culture creation? Culture creation is walking into the training ground and everybody saying hello to everybody, no matter what the level is. Because if everybody's not saying hello to everybody, then there's going to be a limitation at which I can communicate with someone a next step up, right? And sometimes you need to talk to people. And sometimes it's just good to share ideas. I sometimes need to talk more than I do. Why? Because in English culture, it's almost a little bit seen badly if you give your opinions when not asked. But within the Mediterranean culture, it's it's very different. It's This is my opinion. Again, this culture of constantly challenging, improving each other, and then pushing each other. And, and, and they'll have conversations on pitch. People will have conversations on pitch that look from the outside to a foreigner like an argument. They're not arguing. They're trying to reach the quickest conclusion and the most effective conclusion together. And then that's it. So I, I don't agree with the competitiveness things. I think it's just that they have the foundations much more complete. Yeah, no, I heard I heard two big things jumped out to me there. The first was that aspect of like the, the process of it. You know, they actually they'll put the time in and and they'll do that. And the second thing as well is that you're saying about the masters is that no one really gets caught up in the in the outcome of what is derived from the result. Whereas I think in our society over here, and, I, and I've thought this, so like my, my kid's going through it right now. He's going like seven years old. He's starting to play soccer. And I, it's the first time I've thought of it. And like, that's not the, the process. I'm sitting looking at these pitches and the process for him isn't the result. It's, it's the fact that we, we don't need to sing and dance about a win and go to McDonald's and post it on social media. That's what other countries I think aren't doing. They're, they're not... They're not putting a telling the neighbor next door that they're getting a scholarship to there. Both societies want to win. That's that's healthy. That if you're going to have to go to whatever level of football, you're going to have to learn to compete. That's the one the consistent in the game over 30 years has been the ability to compete. That's not going yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. I, I When it comes to that, I think that competitivity is the core. Like you said, I've worked with players throughout all the world. However, I would say that here in Europe, here in Europe, they're quite willing to not go above and beyond, but they're quite willing to push themselves to the very limited times. And they are not easily intimidated, no matter the size. And I think that we live in a modern society that talks about your own internal limitations quite a lot. Your own internal limitations due to where you were born, what you what you grew up as, and, and all of these things, it doesn't help. Talking about limitations in psychology has been proven again and again and again to limit you, not help you succeed. So when I talk to players throughout whatever background or anything and they say, yeah, but I go, don't talk to me like that. I don't allow them to express themselves like that to me because 
it's only enabling them to produce those limitations. You say, okay, that is true what you said. He is faster than you. How can you overcome the situation? How can you overcome it? And then I remind them, you are brilliant at moving right and then receiving the ball on your left foot and checking inside immediately. Is that pace? No. Okay, great. Well, I've just destroyed the paradigm that that person set inside themselves. And immediately, within under five seconds, we've got very effective communication that gives them self-belief and a visualization of what success can look like. Before we finish up, I want to get to um, the, the profiling piece and, and looking at a club in terms of, you see these play profile now, you've got players that are that are looking at saying a fit in a certain tactical criteria, a certain technical criteria, and we've kind of talked about the mental traits that it's going to take. I mean, if 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 you went to a club in the US, like what what would you take and say? Listen, this is a non-negotiable. This is a, an aspect that we've got to work on from day one. Uh, I think the, if we if we're getting down to the nitty gritty and the practical stuff, which I think is very important. I think that the first thing I would do is ability to engage opponents. Um, even as you watch the Premier League, you see games where players will have, clubs will have 34 shots. And then you'll watch the tactical analysis and you'll be looking and you'll be thinking, yeah, but you shot that ball before you even got pressed. So you haven't engaged your opponent whatsoever. Or for example, a team scores two on a on a attacking transition. Okay, but they scored two on an attacking transition because nobody engaged in the tackle. They pressed, but they didn't engage. I mean, that in order to make sure the competitivity is always there, engagement needs to be drilled into players. And engagement means contact. Engagement means contact. We are not playing a sport where you can score 90 points a game because it's so easy to score. Well, to be honest, if it's so easy to score, maybe we should make it a bit more difficult now. Um, in that regard, contact. I would insist on contact upon every exercise and I would build my exercise based around the principle of contact because contact is the base principle of competitivity. If there is no contact in football, there is no competitivity. Now, I'm not saying any sort of uh, red card Brexit-like challenges, as my players from Eastern Europe always say to me, which is really interesting and funny. <laughs> always do, whenever I'm on bids, they just shout Brexit at me because it's, it's hilarious. Let's be honest. It's funny. Uh, even I laugh and give them a hug and uh, so on. But what it means is, that you have to define all of your actions and then look whether contact has taken place. Well, there was a tackle. Well, was contact there? Well, he touched the ball, right? Well, he touched the ball, but at the end of the day, if I make a tackle and I only touch the ball, there's very, 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 very few situations where I will not also touch the man if there is the relevant force in the tackle. Very few. Uh, a press... I'm always talk, talking to players. If you don't touch them, it's not a press. It's not a press. It, it's, it's what we call intermediate, intermediate, which means when you're in between and you're just sort of guiding them one way or the other. 
than if we talk about um, one-on-ones. Very classic example. There are a lot and lots of players who will aim to run past an opponent. No, don't run past him. Because if you run past him or here, it is a foot race. It is not skill. It is just athleticism. If you knock a ball past a player and just run past him, you have not done anything. You have relied on just the gifts that gods gave you or whatever deity that you believe in. Therefore, one-on-ones need engagement. They need one player who has the ball to go at the other one, a la cara, right towards the face of the player, and then manipulate their foot movement as a result. Because if I want to strike on my right foot, well, it's ideal that I move their profile to the left and then I come right across their body and then I have the opportunity to shoot. That is the type of thing that I would be talking to day on day, day in, day out about engagement through contact related to all elements. Goalkeeping, for example, is a perfect example. So then from a coaching standpoint, on top of that, then talking about the coach psychology and that kind of dual role and being on the grass and being practical with it, what are some coaching behaviours that, how do you conduct yourself through the session and make sure that you you connect and and get get those uh, aspects right? I think most importantly, a lot of people forget that in order to get, there's lots of studies that have showed that in order to get the most out of an athlete, an athlete needs to feel as if you care about them and want the best for them. That does not mean that we, that I would ever pander to an athlete. Quite the opposite. If an athlete isn't putting it in, I am very, I am the first to say that's not good enough. Because that's just raw honesty for what they want. Obviously, I need to know what they want. But what they want almost always is to reach the top echelons of football. Well, if you want to reach the top echelons of football, that is not good enough. And they will be, maybe they will be upset in the beginning. But then afterwards, I would say to them, what is it you want? I would like to reach the top echelons of football. Right, well, I would like that for you also. And the only way you're going to get there is by, as we said, if we're talking about competitivity, do you agree? Well, yeah, I need to be more competitive. Great. Okay. So you've already, you're already telling someone I want what you want for you. I don't have any agenda here. I am agendaless. I want you to be the best footballer you can be. It's it's that basic. And as a result of this and many other things that, that I could talk about in a separate occasion, as a result of that, I have players who are willing to run through wars. Because they know that all I want is the best for them. They know that, well, he's not saying it for any other reason than than wanting the best for me. And then having open dialogues in the middle of coaching sessions with players. I believe that quite often we we believe in the limitations of players. And it's quite common in Spain in the middle of of an exercise to see coaches talking to players reflecting, proflecting, getting them to form new neural pathways. If If a player, for example, isn't communicating, why are you not communicating? And then, and they're doing the action, they're playing at the same time, right? Well, yeah, but you need to be able to communicate at the same time to your teammates. 
and the coach. What if the coach has an instruction? Well, you can't just ignore those players. In that instance, what I would do is I would be talking to the player. I'd be saying, right, what did he need to do? Right, he needed to turn. Okay, why didn't you say it? You're playing centre-back. You can see the entire field. That's your responsibility. That's your responsibility. And you haven't taken it up. Why? You need to take on that responsibility. Because then, if I am playing a ball and I'm saying turn, well, he knows he's got the space and then we're already manipulating because sometimes the pass is not designed to turn. All of those things are manipulating the situation in a positive way. The word manipulation is often seen as negative. It's not. Because if I was to manipulate you to become an incredibly successful person, you wouldn't come out the other end throwing cups at the wall shouting, I can't believe Chris did that. It's not. That's not the way it is. What I'm trying to do is get the players to reflect, proflect, and try to improve them in each moment of the training session on pitch as a practical example and then working obviously with the with the coaches in order to create a a way in which they want the team to be because each coach will have small things about themselves that will define them differently from others brilliant brilliant um your your journey has obviously been like there's there's been a ton of formal education and learning and and all your experiences have gone with that there and on the grass and around the world what advice would you have for coaches that are looking at saying one to to look to work at a high level and two you know maybe to to upskill or to get better at the psychology say like what where would you where would they start with that i think the most important thing is be vulnerable be vulnerable i for example, yourself and I, we had a dialogue before this and it's a completely open dialogue just based on vulnerability. I, I Maybe I said something to you, you could have said to me, off your pop, son. <laughs> but, but that's the reality. Yeah. But you need to put yourself in vulnerable situations where you're saying to people, I want to learn, I want to improve myself. And... You'll find that people like to talk, eh? People like to talk, listen, listen as much as possible. Because people will, if you, if people feel like you're trying to learn from them genuinely, genuinely learn from them, not in a sort of sending someone a Twitter message saying, how can I, how can I learn Spanish? Don't ask me how you can learn Spanish. That's a ridiculous <laughs> thing to do. I receive it all the time. How do you learn Spanish? I'm like, do I look like that bloke? What do you mean? How do you learn Spanish? <laughs> right. That's not learning. That's being lazy. The internet has far better answers than me for that. But <laughs> the point is, put yourself in vulnerable situations. Going to Spain was, I had to, I had to completely lose all of my pride. The amount of times I've said a word wrong or I've made someone laugh when I didn't mean to. And just to be just to be clear, because uh, you said this before we start recording, you didn't speak Spanish before you went there. No, 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 I didn't. I didn't. I hola and adios. That's amazing. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Because I knew that the only way I was gonna make it in football is if I differentiated myself. So I came to Spain. I was coaching in Korea, a little bit in Japan, in China. I knew that the only way to make that jump was to create a profile that was different. 
So I studied two masters in Spanish. I uh, did all my qualifications of football in Spanish. And there were moments when I said some things that were hilarious, laughing at me, not with me, at me, right? And for all you listening, I would appear to be a grumpy bearded man from Liverpool (laughs) who has the tan of a man who's never seen the sun, right? The amount of comments I get about my white legs doesn't matter. The amount of times I'm talking to someone in the club and, and my perspective is very, very different perhaps because of the English background. Doesn't matter. I'm here at all times to learn. Number one, be vulnerable. Number two, put yourself in environments where you know people want you to learn and get better. There are so many environments in life, whether it be whatever it is, where unfortunately, there are huge limiting factors and those limiting factors are people. And people will, unfortunately, slow you down for whatever reason it may be. Try to find a situation where people want you to be better, want you to improve yourself, want you to make mistakes and are happy for that to happen. Because Premier League managers make mistakes, you can too. And if you are in a situation where you feel that you cannot make mistakes... Well, whoever it is that's saying that to you, unfortunately, they, they're not in touch with reality or they don't want the best for you. And I'd say the third thing, read as much as humanly possible. The majority of the information I've had in my life about that makes me good at my job has got nothing to do with football. Nothing to do with football. A lot of the things that I've learned in life is by reading and trying different things in order to see what works. But again, vulnerability, putting yourself in an environment where you can make those mistakes Um, and then travel. There's so many studies related to how travel improves cognitive function, improves plasticity in the brain. That means your ability to learn and adapt because most people, when they reach 25, they stop basically evolving as a person. So put yourself in an environment where you have to adapt, where you have to be flexible and then and then be that. Because if you if you ever have ideas of reaching a very high position in football, you will never have the perfect situation. The idea that you're going to walk into a situation like Pep Guardiola where you can buy whatever player you want and you never have to sell a player unless you disagree with them does not exist. I can tell you right now, and I am in a position where I can say that quite firmly. So it's adaptability in all moments. It closes it up nicely because when we first start talking about a culture, talking about honesty, talking about genuine people, and I almost think that the the more genuine individual people are, have that humility, that work Mm -hmm. ethic, that vulnerability, you put in a group of those people together, you've got a decent chance, haven't you, of having yeah. starting to build a culture that people are gonna enjoy and be want to be part of. One hundred percent. I would take I would take a person who is open, adaptable, flexible, mentally stable, self-regulated over the best coach in the world any day. Because the best coach in the world, if they're not those things and things change, which they do inevitably in life. They won't be able to keep up. Brilliant. Brilliant. What a way to finish it. Chris, top class. Loved every minute of it. We Thank gotta you do very it again. Much for your time, mate.
Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com. 